Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to bring a quick message to you this morning. Um, which means it's only going to be three hours, so it's, it's not bad. It's a quick one. It's a quick one. It's one of those quick ones. Um, no, we're going we're gonna to jump into um, the beginning of the, of the Christmas Bible story. The, the, the Christmas story in Scripture starts in Luke chapter 1. And this is actually, chronologically, this is before the story we're going to read from and learn from today is, is a story that happens before the wise men, uh, before the shepherds, even before the angel appears to Mary and announces that she's going to give birth to Jesus, there was another appearance that Luke tells us about in Luke chapter 1. So I want to read this, and really just from this story, I want to find some instruction for us uh, in this season. Uh, we've, been, we've been in a real interesting season here at City Chapel. Um, God's calling us to take a step forward in our faith, calling us to take a step forward toward Jesus, um, especially here in the new year. And so um, we had a slide up last week, and I'm going to put it up here again at the end of service, but there's, there's five different ways that you can take a step forward in January, and uh, we're going to have you get your cell phone out, and you can text a, 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 a word to the number to sign up for one of these different ways. But I believe that God wants all of us Man, this whole section just cleared out with all the kids gone. Uh, yeah, I'll just talk to the people that used to be there. Uh, God wants all of us to take one step forward in our faith. And it's a different step for each and every one of us. Um, God's calling us to different things. But what we're looking at is in January, we always set aside 21 days. That's three weeks where we just go after God and where we take a step. And so the step's going to look differently. But God's calling us during those 21 days to take a step. And those 21 days for us is January 5th, that's a Sunday, through January 26th, and that's a Sunday. So those three weeks, we're going to have a lot of things going on here at City Chapel, ways for you to take a step and get connected. And you might say, man, uh, I, don't even, I don't even know you guys. I'm brand new. It's my first Sunday here at City Chapel. Well, that's perfect because January 5th, we're going to have a party in the park. Um, after church, we're going to get together uh, at Mary Moore um, Seawright Park, just up the road, and weather permitting. We're going to have some volleyball. We're going to have some smoothies because many of us are fasting and praying, so we're not going to have burgers and fries or anything. We're going to have some smoothies, some healthy stuff, uh, maybe some vegetable, veggie platters without the ranch. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's rough. It's rough. It's going to be a sacrifice, but... But man, we're going to have stuff for the kids. We're, gonna, we're just going to hang out in it so that you can, we can get to know each other. Because part of, I think, the taking the next step is just connecting with the people of God. Connecting with the family of God and saying, you know, I'm going to commit to this family and I'm going to get to know these people. And they're weird, but I'm weird. And so we're going to be weird together. Um, anyway, so, that's, so we're going to have a couple parties in the park through January. We're going to have a number of small groups going on. And then we're going to be meeting here every um, weeknight, Monday through Friday, for prayer. And so we're going to be praying and some of us are going to be fasting together. So it's going to be a great time. But as I was reading over the Christmas story, I just, I, I, I see this idea of like new things cropping up throughout the entire Christmas story. I mean, whether it's the angel's announcement to Mary, whether it's the shepherds being shocked, um, if, if, even in the kids' play, like everybody kept getting freaked out by the angel, you know, because God kept just showing up on the scene and messing up their normal. God, God, God has a way of wrecking your routine. He, he really does. He has a way of jacking it up. Uh, I know you have a certain cycle, and every year this happens around that time and that happens. But, man, God has a way. I mean, anything is possible. Anything can happen at any given point because we serve a God who can literally do anything without checking in with you first without checking in with where you've come from or what you're going through or what your parents did. Like he doesn't, he, doesn't have to, he doesn't have to get permission from your past to create a brand new future for you. You know what I'm saying? Like he can just step in there and jack it up just like I can jack up my, my sweater with, uh, with little buckies and a little Christmas stuff. Like you can just, you can, he, can just, he can just throw new stuff at you. And I, and I just want to encourage you to be open to that, to be ready for God to do some new thing in your life 
life in 2020, that God could give you a vision for 2020 that's different and better than 2019, that God could do something different and better in America in 2020 than in 2019, that God could do, do something different and better in Austin in 2020. So anyway, I'm fired up about what's next and what God's what God is planning for us and what he is working toward. And I see that throughout the Christmas story. So I want to jump into the beginning of the Christmas story, and I just want to read from uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Uh, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Uh, that's, that's an interesting title for Herod, since he wasn't actually the king of Judea. Um, in fact, you know, this, the, this is right around 2,000 years ago. Rome was the primary um, world power, the, the dominant world power, and Herod was a part of Rome. They didn't really have kings in Rome. The Roman government, you had, uh, you, you, you had the Caesars, right? So you, so you had the, the main guy, the emperor, but he was held accountable by the Senate. And then they had a bunch of governors that were governing different regions that were represented by the Senate. Now, if that form of government sounds familiar, that's because it is, because America was founded basically on a Roman form of government, uh, a government by representation of the people, a republic. And so that's, you didn't have kings, but Herod called himself a king. So I just think it's kind of funny that Luke is writing this, the gospel, he's writing the gospel story, and he starts off with this guy who calls himself the king. And God, God recognizes this guy. Herod was interesting because he, he was he, he wasn't that successful in life. He's an interesting historical figure, by the way. If you, if, you, if you want to check him out, we were watching this thing on the History Channel on Herod. Herod's such a fascinating guy because he really wasn't that successful. He had a couple military successes and then some failures. And really, he got the job as um, the, 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 the guy in charge of this little town, Judea, because he had some family connections. And so he, he, he really, and it wasn't a prestigious job to be in charge of Judea. Judea was a poor village, poor town, poor area. Uh, the, whole Jewish, the whole Jewish community was not really much to speak of. And there was actually a lot of unrest in, in Jerusalem and in Judea. These weird people thought that they should be fighting against the massive power of Rome. So it was not a job that many Romans were signing up to go to Judea. Um, Herod got it uh, because, honestly, there wasn't much else for him to do. And, but he's the kind of guy who's always looking uh, for people to like him. He's always playing to the crowd. He's always, uh, it seems, he's always trying to curry favor of the people that are around him. And this didn't stop when he went to Judea. So Herod helped rebuild the temple because he wanted the Jews to like him. It's so, so interesting. You have, you, have a, you, you have a guy in charge who's so insecure that he's trying to get the people he's in charge of to like him. And, and meanwhile, the people he's in charge of are, are oppressed so they're trying to get him to like them. And so you have one guy trying to get another guy to like him when they're trying to get him to like them. It's like social media. It's like you go on Facebook. That's exactly what it is. A bunch of people trying to get other people to like them who are also trying to be liked by other people. This is, this is, this is, the, this is the loop of trying to curry favor from other people. And, and it's so interesting to me that God mentions Herod, but then he skips right by him. He says, yeah, Herod was like, the guy calling himself king, but God zooms in to the, to the country of Judea, to the Judean country, and he zooms into somebody else other than Herod, somebody named Zechariah. It says there was a priest. He goes right from the White House to God's house. Like he says, yeah, this is the guy who was like kind of running things, but that's not really where the power was. This is the guy who had the title, but that's not really where the change happened. And it's so interesting to me, many times we think that change, and we're stepping into 2020, so this is probably a good time to say that during an election year, um, just calm down, just to starters, just calm down, everything's going to be okay. Um, uh, God doesn't care. Like, he, he, he's, like, he's like, yeah, Herod says he's king, and nobody cares. Like, literally in heaven, he's, he's a side note. He's, a, he's an honorable mention, the story of what God is doing in the earth. He says, well, you should probably mention, just so that the guy who's reading this has some timeline context, but he has nothing to do with the story. He tries to stop the story, right? He tries to kill 
little little baby little baby toddler Jesus, he tries to take him out, but he, he doesn't have power to do that. He can't do that. And, and instead, God bypasses the people that other people think has power. And he goes right to Zechariah, which, by the way, God's doing this all the time in the Bible. I don't know if you've read like a chapter. If you have, you've probably figured out that God doesn't use the kind of people that everybody thinks that God's going to use. God doesn't use the kind of people who are most intelligent, most educated, with the most money. He doesn't use the people who have the most like political power. God doesn't need kings. He doesn't need presidents. He doesn't need vice presidents. He doesn't need politicians. He doesn't need senators or governors or congressmen. God needs right here. Here's a no-nothing, no-name guy named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. We all know where that is. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. But here's the key. Here's what separates them from Herod. They, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God. And that's where it counts. They were both righteous before God. They were walking, that's present tense, blamelessly in all the commandments and statues, statutes of the Lord. In other words, God's not looking for kings. He's looking for servants. He's not looking for people with influence. He's looking for people with the purity of heart. He's, he's bypassing, and he's doing it even today. Whatever, whatever side of the aisle you're voting and whatever booth you go into and whatever names you click, he, that's fine, and that's great, and I think we ought to participate in government. But at the end of the day, God doesn't use the kind of people that people think God will use. God uses servants. God uses people. God turns the world upside down in spite of Herod. He just says, yeah, he says he's king and he thinks he's king, but he's so busy trying to get everybody to like him that I can't use him. He's so busy thinking what everybody else thinks of him that he's not aware of what I'm thinking of him. And yet Zechariah and Elizabeth are constantly walking blamelessly in all the statues of the Lord. They, are, they care about what God cares about. And so that's why in January, man, it's time for us to refocus and reconnect with our, our, our walk with God. Are we walking blamelessly with him? Or is there some blame and some blamelessness? Is there, is there some compromise in our lives? That's, that's what January for us at City Chapel is all about. It's getting rid of the compromises, getting rid of that stuff so that God can use us, so that we can have this connection with him, this intimacy with him that he longs to have with us. So you can't, it's, it's, not, it's not just a political process here. It's not a particular president or vice president that God's looking to, to transform the world. He's looking for regular, everyday Joes and Josephinas <laughs> to use because that's who he's focused on. This is what heaven is talking about. This is what heaven is planning on. This is what heaven, this is what the highest court in the land is, is considering. They're, they're, an honorable mention is given to Herod, but the real hero here is what God is about to do in, in a regular person's life. The guy's name is Zechariah. He's married to Elizabeth, and they both are righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. Verse 7 starts with this word, though, but. And I think, and I think it starts with a but because what he's about to tell you about them may not make sense with what you generally, as humans, what we generally believe about the kind of people who are walking blamelessly with God. Like, they are serving God, they are submitted to God, they are, they are walking, they are taking steps toward God, and, 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 and then he says, but, and this is what he says, but they had no child. And, and I think the reason why the word but is in there is because oftentimes we think that, hey, if we are doing everything right, and it's, it's, it's almost like he understands the fact that we often confuse obedience with blessing. Like we kind of get those mixed up. We think that, hey, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, then everything will work out the way it's supposed to work out. And by the way it's supposed to work out, I mean that the way I thought it was going to work out. <laughs> like that one time when the phone rang and I answered it on stage because my phone was, was ringing. That was funny. Um, 
It didn't work out too good. It was a it was a lady who guys didn't know that pastors are usually busy on Sundays between like ten and eleven. I guess she hadn't figured that one out yet. But um, she was trying to carry on a full on conversation. I was like, no, seriously, I really do have to go. Um, <laughs> poor poor lady. Um, but no, like he 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 appears uh, to Zachariah, and 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 he finds a Zachariah who is barren. He finds uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth who have been, I guess, disappointed by God. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you started doing the right thing. You started making some good changes, started moving toward God, and not everything worked out. Not everything happened the way you thought. Your prayers weren't answered. I don't know, has anybody ever prayed prayers that were not answered? Uh, Good prayers. Good. I'm not talking about, I, you know, I mean, I did pray for a Lamborghini, but I'm not talking about Lamborghinis. Like, that also was not answered. I remember when I was, I was, I was seven years old, and we were a part of a Word of Faith church, which um, back in the 80s, and, 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 and even today, it's, it's kind of like you, you name it and claim it kind of stuff. And, and there's some good to uh, faith, absolutely, uh, but there's also some sort of extremes. And so I was listening to some people that were kind of extreme, and I'm six years old, seven years old, and I have happen to believe like everything I hear. And so I go home and I have a toy lightsaber. I don't know if you have this good old toy light. It's not the kind that extended. This is back in the 80s. So this was like a solid thing that you could like kill somebody with. And uh, it, was this, it was this cool handle and it was a red Darth Vader lightsaber. And I, like the biggest dream of mine was to actually own a real lightsaber, you know, where like you use the force and it comes out like this. You girls are looking at me like, what is he talking about? But all the guys get me right now. Like, that was it. Like, so I said, all right, well, Lord, if you're real, like, turn this lightsaber into a real lightsaber, you know. And and I spoke it into existence, and I really believed it in my heart, like, for real, for real. And it didn't happen. And I was like, huh. Is, that's kind of a kid's version, but I, I'm sure all of us have prayed much more important things uh, for loved ones to be healed, for things to work out, for stuff that, that, that didn't happen. And man, it gets disappointing and it gets difficult. And so, and so 2019 may have been a little disappointing to you. And so I guess I'm trying to speak to you that even in the middle of disappointment, you can still, you can still be on the verge of a miracle even in the middle of disappointment. And this is what I think is so shocking to Zechariah. He actually is shocked when it happens. But, but he has lived a life of, yeah, faithfulness to God, but not much fruitfulness. Obedience, but not the blessing that he's been praying for. And this is a part of following God. And if you're not careful, you, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll stumble right there. But, but with these guys, this is, what, this is what's so interesting with Zechariah. In verse 8, it kind of gives us the, the keys. What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayer? What do you do when you pray for the lightsaber and it doesn't happen? Are you looking for that toy and just can't find it in the box? What do, you, what, do you, what do you do when God doesn't answer your prayer? Well, let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 starts with these words, Now while he was serving. It's amazing some of the stuff that happens while you are serving. Even disappointed, yes, but serving. Uh, barren, yes, but serving. Without uh, your, your hope of your prayer request coming, coming to pass, but serving. I think sometimes God holds back on, on releasing what we're asking for, not because he doesn't want to give it to us, but, but because he wants, to, he wants to purify our motives. Because, like, what do, you, what do you do when God doesn't answer? What do you do when there's disappointment and, and the doctor's report is not what you had prayed for or hoped for? What do you do when things don't work out the way that, that you thought that it would? Well, uh, many of us, we would not, we, verse 8 in our life would not be now while he was serving. It would be more like now while he was sitting or sulking or, I don't know, some other S word that we could figure out. While he was just... While he had given up on God because God had let him down, while he was so disappointed that he had thrown his hands up and said, well, I guess this stuff doesn't work. Uh, so oftentimes we don't receive from God because honestly we never allow him to purify our motives. Can you keep serving God 
without the benefits. Like, can you, do you love him just for him? Or do you love him for what he can do for you? Because as soon as he stops doing for you what you thought he would do for you, that's the real test. Now we get to see where Zachariah's heart is. Yeah, he's been faithful. Yeah, his wife has been faithful. But have they been faithful because of what they want or have they been faithful because they truly do desire God? And so the, this time of barrenness is actually a time of purification. It's a time of cleansing out our motivation for why we're seeking him, why we're connecting with him. Because in verse 8, we find him serving as a high priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood. And he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Now, uh, in, the, in the coming year, um, beginning in January, I, I'm going to start uh, a short sermon series for the month of January about the tabernacle because it's really fascinating to me the different articles of the tabernacle, the, uh, the Old Testament tabernacle that God commanded Moses to build when they were in the wilderness. Well, that tabernacle, it was, it was really prophetic. All of the articles and pieces and tables and bread and um, candles and, and curtains, it was all very specific, very detailed, and it probably bored you when you were reading it in the Bible. But it's actually very important. It's, it's all very prophetic of what Jesus would do. It's pointing toward Jesus. And so it's very interesting that the very first proclamation of Jesus happens within the temple because the temple was then constructed. So you had the tabernacle in the Old Testament. It was made of tents and stuff, and it was a set-up-and-tear-down kind of temple. And then Solomon built an actual temple based on the Old Tabernacle, all the same dimensions, all the same processes. He, he kept it all the same, and he added some extra stuff to make it cooler and grander. He added some flat-screen TVs and stuff like that. Checking to see if you're awake, and uh, you know, and some some some, some PS4s and uh, for the kids, of course, and and uh, so he he changed it up a little bit, but he kept the basic structure, the same shapes, the same articles, the same process, and then that was tore down when they were carried away to Babylon. That was destroyed, and then Herod rebuilt Solomon's temple. So where Zechariah is right now is he is in um, the holy place, what's called the holy place, and so just just to give you an idea, the the, the temple was a series series of rectangles, which is actually really, really interesting. Um, if you, uh, several of the uh, pyramids, you guys, I don't know if you do any study on pyramids. I'm fascinated by, by pyramids. The, the, some of the tombs within the pyramids, they're frequently rectangles, and the particular dimensions of those rectangles are the exact same dimensions as the rectangles uh, of, the, of the ancient tabernacle. Kind of fascinating. It's also, in all of the tabernacles are the same dimensions. They're just, they just get smaller until you get to the smallest rectangle, which is the box in the middle of the most holy place. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And they're all the same dimensions. Anyway, it's also the same dimension as the temple, as the city of God in the book of Revelation coming down from heaven. So some of those numbers are actually important. They're prophetic, right? So they're telling us that this is related to that. Anyway, so I'll, I'll get into that in January. It'll be a lot of fun. But where Zechariah is right now is he's in what's called the holy place. So the temple consists of one rectangle, which is an outer court. And it's, at, it's positioned at the highest point in Jerusalem. It's on a hill. Everybody can see it. Uh, they, they call themselves the city on a hill because they, they put the, the, the temple on the highest point of that hill so everybody has to walk up to it. Uh, and, and, and there's an outer court. And the outer court consisted of women, um, consisted of men, consisted of uh, quite a few different people could hang out in the outer court. The outer court is actually where teaching would happen. So Jesus is found teaching in the temple frequently in, 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 the, in the Gospels. That's where he was teaching. He was teaching in the outer court. So they would have multiple preachers. On any given Sabbath, uh, you would have a preacher over there, preacher over there, preacher over there, and the people sitting around listening to them talk about the Torah or the Word of God and talk about explaining it and, 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 and all the teaching. Well, that's the outer court. Well, then you come into the inner court, and the inner court was another rectangle, a little bit smaller, and only men were allowed there, and actually only a particular class of men were allowed inside of there. You had to be an Israelite. You had to be a head of the family because that's where sacrifice happened. 
So you would sacrifice within the outer court. That's where they would kill the animals and shed the blood for the forgiveness of sins. Now, within that outer, within that inner court, there was another rectangle, a room about half the size of this sanctuary. So if we were to cut the sanctuary down the middle um, and just that half, that would be the size of what's called the holy place and the most holy place. So there was a, there was a curtain down the middle of, of that room. So you have about half the sanctuary, and then that is cut in half. And on this side, in the front side, is the holy place. And then there's a curtain, and then you have the most holy place. And the most holy place, only one priest could go once a year. And he was so scared to go in there, because that's where the box, the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the presence of God, the blue Shekinah glory, the flame was glowing over it. And he was so scared, they were so scared to go in there, that, when, that before they would go in, they would always tie a rope to their ankle and tie a bell to another ankle. So they keep it jingling, so as long as you hear the jingling, you're good. But if the jingling stops, <laughs> they pull the rope, because they figure you died. They were so afraid to enter into the presence of God because it was such a serious thing that they were like, man, like, I need to tie this rope because I don't want you coming after me or you'll die. So you pull me out. Like, you know, like, you know, it's dangerous. And, and, and that was only once a year. But this other part, the holy place, this is where Zachariah is. He's just on the other side of the curtain of the most holy place in the entire planet. And he's there and he's, he's working at the altar of incense. The altar of incense was, uh, I actually have a picture or a drawing of the altar of incense. It would have um, stood about um, three and a half, four feet tall. Uh, It was made of gold, and on the top is where you would place the incense. And incense is exactly what you think it is. You know, hippies and in their dorm room, like that's what it is. It's these little sticks of, of smoking, smelly stuff. That's the whole point. And, and God commanded, actually, that there would be incense to be burning 24-7 within the holy place. And so they, they cast lots where they decided who gets to go in today and make sure the incense is lit. That's what Zechariah is doing. He's lighting the incense. And the incense, by the way, is symbolic or prophetic of prayer or worship. And David said in Psalm 141, he said, Let my prayers rise to you like incense. Uh, the incense sets the atmosphere, which is exactly what prayer does. It sets the atmosphere of your life. You can't see it, but you can smell it. <laughs> you can smell it's, it's like a, it's, it. it that's, that's what culture is. That's what atmosphere is. You can't see it. It's not written in the plans. It's not visual. But you, when you walk in, you can smell that something's different. And let me, that, that's why we're taking 21 days of prayer, because unfortunately, we start to lose the scent of God in our life. We rub shoulders with the world so much that, man, sometimes you just got to relight that incense. You have to relight that connection with God. Because people who are burning the incense of prayer in their lives 24-7, man, you can, you can smell it on them. Like, you can notice something's a little different about that person. Something's a little... Like, they're, they're, it's not anything they said, it's not anything that they, it's not the way they dress, but there's something intangibly different. That's what, that's what incense does. It creates this intangible, can't quite put my finger on it, but I, in my senses, I'm breathing in, uh, what does the scripture say, that we become the fragrance of Christ in the earth. And that's what, that's what happens as we, and, 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 and yet, remember, this is a barren man. This is a guy whose wife is unable to have children. He is unable to have children. And especially in that culture, that's a, that's a bitter disappointment to life. That's a bitter disappointment. And here he is disappointed but burning the incense. Here he is suffering and sorrow is in his heart, but he's burning the incense. I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes worship that costs you something is it, it's more valuable than, than the kind of worship that doesn't cost you anything. In the middle of disappointment, in the middle of pain, in the middle of personal suffering, he's setting that aside because God is still worthy of his praise and of his prayer and of his devotion. And so he lights the incense. He lights it again. Every day he's going in there and he steps in there on this day. And to his shock, (laughs) sometimes some of us who are like faithful kind of people, I think sometimes we're actually shocked when God shows up. We, we go about the ritual of the thing. We're faithful to the thing, but we're not always doing it with expectation. Uh, Zechariah is not doing this with expectation. He's lighting 
the incense. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And he is completely shocked when in the middle of one of the most holy places in the entire planet, an angel appears to him. And there's this angel in verse 10. The whole multitude of the people were outside praying during the hour of incense. And then verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And, I, and, and, and I, I want to read this whole message, but then I want to come back to just what, I, what I'm going to glean from the message. Because honestly, I could preach like literally three hours on this message, but I won't. But the angel's message is so powerful. He says, he says don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him. He will go before him. Who's he talking about? Well, he's saying that John is going to go before Jesus. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And that 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 prototype is really interesting, but uh, there was Elijah and then there was Elisha. Elijah went before Elisha and John went before Jesus, and there's a lot of similarities. He's going to go before Jesus to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people that is prepared. And, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old and my wife is advanced in years. Um, I want to look at this message from the angel. There's, there's actually multiple portions of the message. Uh, there is, of course, the way in which John is going to impact Jesus. He's going to be the Elijah to Jesus. Uh, there is the way in which John is going to impact the, the Jewish people. He's going to turn the hearts of uh, children to their fathers. Uh, there, there is the way in which John is going to impact this, this, this overall, not just this community, but the overall story of what God is doing. He's going to prepare God's people for the next 2,000 years. Uh, and so there's, there's the prophetic side of John, there's the Jesus side of John, there's the Israelite side of John. But, but what, 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 what stuck out to me as I was reading this the other day is that the angel starts off with a very different side. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. First off, your prayer has been heard. So interesting. He's speaking to a man who's disappointed. And he says, look, just because God hasn't answered doesn't mean God wasn't listening. He says, your prayer has been heard. Now, as far as we know, this is not part of the general message. Gabriel is a messenger angel. God gives him a message to give to people, and that's cool. But as far as we know, Gabriel is just letting him know not so much a particular message from God, but rather the, the context that this message is coming from. He's like, man, look, I've been in the presence of God, and even though I know it's hard for you to see down here, all, every single time you prayed for a son, God was listening. Every single time, maybe you didn't even say the prayer as a prayer. You didn't fold your hands and say, dear, 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 dear God. You didn't do that, but you thought in your heart. You desired in your heart. You had a burden in your heart. You had a longing in your heart. And every single time that longing came up, it, it, it didn't just stay in your heart. It also appeared in the presence of God. I've come from the presence of God. And for literally decades, Zechariah, we have been hearing about your desire for a son. And you, you need to understand the context because before, before the angel goes on to tell him about how great this child is going to be and what he's going to do for, for Jesus, what he's going to do for the kingdom, what he's going to do for other people, he said, first off, I want you to know about you. Zechariah, you have been heard. Now, it's just because God was silent didn't mean that he wasn't listening. Just because he was, you couldn't see him acting doesn't mean that he wasn't taking notes. Just because, just because sometimes I think when, 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 whenever, whenever we, we interpret God's silence, we interpret his inactivity as a lack of care, as a lack of understanding, or even a lack of knowing. And, 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 and Gabriel says, look, that's not the case. We've been, we've been listening to your prayers. We in heaven, we've been hearing this. And there's something else you need to know, Zechariah. He says, first off, your prayer has been heard. 
and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will call his name John. In verse 14, this is the first thing I want you to know, is you will have joy and gladness. You will have joy and gladness. It's interesting because he goes on to talk about how John's going to impact other people. John's going to impact Jesus. John's going to impact City Chapel in 2019. But he says, no, no, no. The first thing that I want you to get, Zachariah, out of all of this is that you will have joy and gladness. And so that stuck out to me because I think oftentimes, well, you know, I think oftentimes we see God as almost like a CEO. Like he's, he's up there and he's in charge of stuff. And as long as we can sort of help him get stuff done, then he's good with us. As long as we can help him with his kingdom and, and all that, then he's good. But as soon as we slip up, you're fired. You know, as soon as we stop helping his kingdom, then it's like, okay, I don't, I don't need you anymore. But what's interesting to me is that, is that Zechariah has been faithful. And he has been disappointed. And, and Gabriel comes to him and says, look, this, this, this thing that God's about to do in you is actually also for you. You will have joy and gladness. You, like, like God has been, you thought God was ignoring your prayers. Actually, he was plotting your joy. He was, he was scheming your joy. He was sitting up in heaven for the past 30 years trying to figure out how to bless you so much that the deepest desire of your heart will be met. And I don't know that we always think of God like that. I mean, you know, you probably grew up in a church where you heard about a God who was plotting. Definitely, just not your joy. He was plotting revenge. He was plotting how to keep you on the right track. He was plotting how to make sure you were profitable to his kingdom. But it's interesting, Gabriel doesn't start off with any of that. Now that will come into play. But Gabriel says, no, look, 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 this is for your joy. God's about to do something for you. God knows your, what's on your Christmas list. And, and, and as adults, honestly, most of the time what's on our Christmas list can't be bought on Amazon. <laughs> and, and this is the same thing with, with Zechariah. You can't cast lots for what he's desiring. You can't get promoted high enough in his job for what he's desiring. He can't build a better relationship with his wife for what he's desiring. What he's desiring can only come from God. And the good news that starts off the good news of Jesus being born comes to a barren man who's been faithful for so many years. And God says, you know what? It seems like God's been quiet over your life, and he has, but he's been planning and plotting your joy. And this, 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 this ought to make sense to us because if, if you have kids in here, I have two kids. Man, the Christmas season, honestly, it's kind of about plotting joy. It's about planning what will bring them joy. That's, that, that, I don't know about you. I mean, maybe you guys are a bunch of Scrooges, but for me, you're like, really? I don't want to make my kids happy. I just want to see them suffer. Uh, well, anyway, uh, for me, I like to like get like I, I I like to get a list from them of stuff they want. I like to you know get 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 the list on Monday, and then their other list on Tuesday, which changes, and then their other list on Wednesday, and then just kind of average out the list of the things that mostly stayed on the list. Like I like to try to surprise them even with some stuff that I thought of that they hadn't thought of, and you know I mean I like to plot and plan for a moment of joy. Like that's my best, that's my best thing as a parent, as I step into the Christmas season, I can tell you right now, it's my best thing. In fact, sometimes I think I, it, the season happens so fast. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's like, I can't believe Christmas is Wednesday. Like that just, you know, scares me a little bit. I'm like, I don't know if we've got everything we need to get. I certainly haven't wrapped anything. Like, <laughs> What are we going to do? Christmas is Wednesday. Like, I still feel like I'm at the place where it's like, like Christmas is like two weeks away. And so we need to like get the tree out. We need to go watch some Christmas movies. We need to get, we need to get in the Fleming family in the Christmas spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like the day before Christmas. I don't know. We're, for some reason, I'm behind this year. But I think it's because when, you're, when, when, when you know what's coming and when you're plotting what's coming, time seems to go pretty fast. But, but, but I'm still young enough to remember when I was seven years old, and time did not go fast at all. 
Um, the Christmas season, in fact, I could have used an angel to come tell me, um, uh, cheer up, Harry, everything's going to be okay. Because at seven years old, uh, it was one of my favorite Christmas of all time. I share this story with my kids about every year. I shared it two nights ago, and they're like, Dad, you already told us that. And I'm like, well, I know, it's a good story, so listen. Um, but no, when I was seven, it was like my favorite Christmas because, uh, but yet in the moment, it's my favorite Christmas now, but in the moment, it was like the most stressful Christmas. For me, as a seven-year-old, this will get you. This, this will give you a glimpse into my psyche. Okay, seven-year-old Harry stressed out because I was one of like four billion children on the planet who really, 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 really wanted a Nintendo gaming system. NES. I don't know if you guys remember. In 1987, Nintendo, like Mario, eight bits of graphic. You know, now you're playing with power. I saw the commercial. My cousin had one. And I, like, duck hunt, you know. And, like, I mean, I wanted an intent. Like, that's, like, and it was stressful for me for two reasons. One, my parents were not very well off. So I knew, and I still remember to this day, $100. That's how much it cost, $100. Mom and dad told me. They're like, well, I don't know if we can get it, honey. It's 100 Dollars. So a seven-year-old, that's that's a lot of dollars. Um, can't even count that high. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> all my fingers and toes. And so a hundred dollars. And that was the first problem. The second problem is honestly, they were sold out everywhere. We didn't have Amazon back in 1987. Okay, you had to drive to stores. I remember like mom sending dad like every night. He was I don't think he slept at all the whole week prior to Christmas because he was looking all over for stuff. And 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 so but I was I'm stressing. So I'm making I'm making my own list and checking it twice. I'm underlining and circling Nintendo. Like I I'm dreaming about Nintendo. I really want Nintendo. But it was a stressful two week vacation because I was waiting. For Nintendo, and it's so interesting how how I think that many of us are actually like that a lot. Because we don't have what we want, we can't enjoy what we have, and it steals the joy of the season because we're so nervous that we're not going to get what we're looking for. And yet, God, He's on the other side of that. He knows exactly what He's plotting, and I think that's why time kind of cruises along for Him. But for us. Man, it's stressful when you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get a Nintendo. I might go a whole nother year. I might have to wait till I'm eight, which is forever away until I get a Nintendo. Like, this is crazy. And so you're stressing. And, 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 and I remember that, that, that Christmas morning, like, before I woke up, it's the only time it's ever happened, but, like, this light, like, flashed across my eyes, like, like the Holy Spirit just anointing or something. I don't know. It's just, it's just I, I woke up, jumped out of bed. That actually is the anointing. I never jump out of bed. But that morning, I got I wake Peter up. We go wake Mom and Dad up. We go out and in, into the living room. I'm looking around for a box that looks about the size of a Nintendo, you know, because I saw my cousin. Nintendo and so it looks about it's kind of kind of like kind of like this and and so as I'm looking I'm shaking stuff and and I remember like almost every single present I got that year because they were all not Nintendos <laughs> that's actually why I remember because you know like you know like the first present I remember um uh I, I don't know if your parents used to do this but 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 my parents always like shoved a lot of stuff into Christmas so like we got socks and underwear and pajamas. I got a Superman pajamas. I still remember Superman blue pajamas, Superman S, and like a Velcro uh, like flag thingy cape on my back. And and yeah, I mean like so they shoved everything. And then my mom would also every year she'd like get me something that I didn't really want, but she thought would be a good idea. I don't know. Is I probably still do that to my kids. I'm like they'll love this, and it's like eh. didn't quite hit. And so she got me like this, like this this paint set with this smock. I'll never forget the smock. I'm like, why am I? I am a man. Men do not wear smocks. I'm seven years old, but I still got you know pride. I can't be caught dead with a smiley head like is this like a dress you know I'm like uh okay thanks mom and dad it's so nice and it's trying to act grateful one thing that was actually really cool was a Fiero I got a remote control Fiero I know you remember 1987 Fiero's a silver card the lights went up and anyway it was it was awesome but finally at the end of it all like there was no Nintendo and you're trying to hide your disappointment you know and and there was this like present off to the side that dad's like oh what's that and so he went and got it and it was a bigger box than I thought but 
apparently boxes come bigger. And so uh, it, was, it was assigned to Peter and I from Jesus, which all the good presents were always from Jesus. So we knew that was, we ripped it open. It was Nintendo and dad went and spent 30 minutes hooking up to the TV and all that kind of stuff. And, and man, it was awesome playing Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers. And, and it was, it was awesome. But, but the, the problem was like the joy that, that was planned for me, I couldn't participate in it because I didn't really, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And so as we step into this season, I just want to encourage you that the stuff God has planned for, if you could see what God has planned for you, you'd be able to celebrate now. Like you'd be able to, to have the joy now. You'd be able to walk in the joy now. And that's what the angel says to him. He says, look, God has been plotting your joy. He has been planning I know you've been through disappointment. I know you've been through hurt. I know he's allowed certain things to happen to you. But all of that is working together for your good. That's what scripture says. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God. And, and so, and so, and so it, it, I, I, we almost need to change our view of God. Sometimes our faith is limited because our version of God is not one who plots and plans to bring us joy. We see a God who's looking to build his kingdom off the backs of servants. That's not who he is. He's a father who's looking to make absolutely joyful his children. And everything he asks of us, everything he calls us to do is toward that end. It's moving us toward ultimate joy, ultimate peace. By the way, like this is also a fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Like, don't trust grumpy people who say they're filled with the Spirit. Because they're not. <laughs> if they're grumpy, they're not. Because it, it, as surely as love is a sign that someone is filled with the Spirit, joy is the very next sign. Joy is a fruit. It's, it's an evidence of the Spirit in our heart. Because when we're connected to Him, we have the joy that he has for us. And so then there's some amazing, other, some, some amazing things that, that he talks about, this, this, this son that's to be born. But in verse 18, Zechariah says, how can I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is also really old. <laughs> the angel answered him and said, dude, uh, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. So behold, he says, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe my words, which, were which will be fulfilled in their time. And I think that's the final step. The final key is sometimes our own doubt gets in the way. Sometimes our own mouth gets in the way. Sometimes our own, our own belief that things are always going to be the way they've always been, it gets in the way of what God wants to do. And so God literally shut them up. He's like, no talking for you. You are, you're done. No more, you, you know those, those teachers that say there are no stupid questions? <laughs> that was one that we shouldn't have asked. He's like, man, I just, I just got done giving you an eyewitness account of the throne room. And you're still worried about the thing that you're facing, your barrenness. God is big enough and good enough to deal with your barrenness. God is good enough and big enough to deal with your addiction. God is good enough and big enough to deal with your sin, with your disbelief, with your family, with your struggles, with your finances. God is good enough and big enough. He is strong enough and willing enough to step into your life in spite of what you're facing. In fact, he knows what you're facing. And he's telling you these words anyway. He's making these promises to you anyway. And so my last challenge to you is maybe just, uh, if you can't, what is that, what is, what does Disney say? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Uh, if you can't say something faith-filled, don't say anything. Just, just, just accept what God is saying. Let his word trump your words. Let his word reside over your word. That's what scripture says, that the God of peace, I went and visited Romeo this past week, and it was awesome to get to hang out with him. But you look around at the prison, you know, and, and it's, it's guarded, you know. The, I mean, the locks on those doors and the, 
the uh, the guards everywhere. They're always communicating. I'm going from here to here. I'm going from there to there. I'm doing such and such. Like, it's really well organized, actually. And I, the scripture came to me that the God of peace, the, 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 the peace of God, will guard your hearts. And I thought, wow, I wonder if, if the peace of God is guarding our hearts. If it's checking in with every movement, everything that's moving from here to there, every thought that's going from there, to, from that to that, the peace of God will guard your heart. Not let anything in that would disrupt the word of God, not let anything out that would block the will of God, that the peace of God would guard our heart in Christ Jesus. And the peace, it says this, that it is the peace that passes understanding. Not bypasses, but passes means it sits on top of, it dwells over, it's more powerful then. It is in charge of. That the peace of God would be in charge of your understanding. What's your understanding? Your understanding is how you perceive what you see. And so I may see something, but the peace of God tells my understanding what to understand. That the peace of God... So whatever you're facing in this, this Christmas season, whatever disappointments you're facing, it doesn't matter what you see. What is key is how you perceive what you see. What, 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 what do you derive from it? What, what messages are you receiving from it? That's what the peace of God is there to do, is to interpret for you what you see. And as he interprets what we see, then he actually can then set and change what we see. So, Father, we come before you today, and I just pray over everyone here, and and myself included. Lord, I need your peace to come and to be in charge of my understanding. I need your perception to come and to reign over my understanding, over my perception. I submit to you. I receive your spirit to come and fill me in such a way that I would walk in the joy that you have. That before I receive what you have for me, and as I catch a glimpse into it, Lord, that I wouldn't start doubting, but that I would actually enter into the joy before I get the present. Thank you, Lord, that you have us on your mind, that you have good things in store for us, and that you desire to bring joy into our lives and peace through the Holy Spirit and obedience and power into our lives in 2020. Lord, I pray that you give us a fresh vision for that. I don't know if we need to see angels or whatever, but Lord, you can speak to us in many ways. We open ourselves up to you. We choose to silence every voice of fear, every voice of doubt, and only hold on to what you say about us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.